This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The reason I'm prepared for this position is because I've been preparing for this all my life. Our goal is to compete and, and really put a fun team on the court that really gets after it. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. We're very talented. I mean, we can go out there and compete at a high level and give a lot of effort. We can be a good team. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Despite a pair of impressive games from new Rocket Kelly Olynyk and fan favorite Rocket Jay Shante, the Rockets do fall to the Memphis Grizzlies by a final score of 120 to 110, dropping to 13 and 33 on the season, now 6 and 17 at home. What is up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join myself and the Athletics' Ali Kambijani each week Tuesday live to get in on the action. Tonight we're doing it 8.30 p.m. Central Time. Do not want to miss out on it. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media, all Houston, all original. Be sure to follow along on Twitter, at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo H-O-U. This was a really back-and-forth game. Like, I mean, at each team, it really felt like, I mean, there'd be Rockets would go on a you know, 7-8, 9-0 run, 10-0 run. Then the Grizzlies would go on a 7-8, 9-10, 0-0 run, whatever. And it was very just back-and-forth, back-and-forth, all the way up until that fourth quarter where the Rockets were still very much in this game with a few minutes left to go, and then... Jonas Valanciunas just became too much to handle uh, offensively for the Rockets, who, you know, don't have a big currently on the roster that they can throw at those truly monstrous bigs in the league, right? Like Kelly Olynyk on Jonas Valanciunas is not a fair matchup for Olynyk; it's just not. And so, like, I I look at. You know, a league-wide, right? You've got the Embiid's, the Jokic's, uh, you know, just there's a lot of those, like, legitimately big bodies out there um, that the Rockets don't have somebody to throw at. Even, Even if Christian Wood was healthy, Christian Wood is a four that's playing as a five. That's what his body type is built as, you know, being about that 6'10 kind of slender frame. And so that's just my immediate takeaway was Valanchunas was just too much to handle down the stretch and really too much to handle throughout the course of this game. He was just absolutely dominant against the Rockets. 30 points, 15 rebounds, four of which were offensive boards, shot 13 of 18 from the floor. You tip your cap to Valanchunas, who had himself a whale of a game for the Memphis Grizzlies. But on the Rockets side of things, Kelly Olynyk, uh, despite not being able to contain Valanciunas, still had a pretty solid all-around game. 25 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists, had a steal, had 2 blocks, shot 10 of 17 from the floor, but didn't hit a single shot from behind the arc. So he was per- like almost perfect inside the arc, and then 0 of 5 outside the arc. So 10 of 12 inside, 0 of 5 outside, 5 of 5 at the free throw line. So a really strong game, despite the 3-point shooting from Kelly Olynyk and then Jay Shantae just I mean 
I guess he decided he was just going to wake up and score the ball today. 24 points on 9 of 18 shooting, shot 3 of 9 from behind the arc, 3 of 3 at the charity stripe, had uh, 7 rebounds, had an assist, uh, no steals, no blocks for Jay Sean Tate, which is kind of, uh, that's kind of weird in, in the grand scheme of things. Like I remember uh, Monday afternoon before the game rolled around, uh, Jay Sean, like there was a there was a question that was posted on Twitter about Hakeem Olajuwon and the the uh, quadruple double that he posted, and you know the the caption was like, "Who could you see posting the next quadruple double?" And I legitimately believe that Jay Sean Tate has all the tools necessary to post a quadruple double. Wow, I can't say that word quadruple double at some point in his career or at least like a five by five right and because we we've we talk about Jay Sean Tate being very Draymond-esque um but besides that sidebar I mean you know it it's it's a little uncharacteristic for him to not have a single steal or block over the course of a game in which he played you know well over 30 minutes um, John Wall and Kevin Porter Jr. both struggling in this game. Um, they were both facilitating at a pretty good level. Wall finished with eight assists. Porter Jr. finished with five assists. Uh, but Wall with only nine points. Porter Jr. with ten points. Wall was two of 12 shooting from the floor. Just one of five from behind the arc. Did shoot four or five at the free throw line, which was nice to see. Kevin Porter Jr., uh, five of 17. 0 of seven from downtown. Uh, did have his five assists, had a couple turnovers as well. John Wall had four turnovers. Um, but the Rockets, like as a team, despite the struggles from Kevin Porter Jr. and John Wall, they were getting contributions across the board, and they were facilitating as a team at a pretty high level. Like going down the list, it, it, you know, so first off, they had 40 made shots, and they had 28 assists on those 40 made shots, which is really nice to see. Um, the, the, the ball movement was there. They were creating for one another. It wasn't all on the shoulders of one player to generate the offense. Now, unfortunately, down the stretch, especially in that fourth quarter, they just could not, for the life of them, hit anything beyond the arc. I, it was either 3 of 13 shooting or 3 of 14 shooting. I, I saw 3 of 13 somewhere, and so I ran with that, and then I saw somebody else say 3 of 14, but I'm going to keep sticking with 3 of 13 because that's the first number that I saw. Um, and it's the number that I have written down in my notes, so I'm not changing it. Um, but so let's let's go. Three of 13 shooting from behind the arc in the fourth quarter. That's really tough to overcome. And it's not like these were maybe a couple of them were bad shots. Like John Wall had the one, you know, in the fourth down the stretch where uh, the offense hadn't found the open man yet. And the, the ball got kicked back out to him with like four seconds left on the clock. And he took like a, you know, a 25, 26 foot three pointer just to get the shot up. So. But the majority of those 13 threes, apart from that one and maybe one or two others, were legitimately good shots. Like, they were creating good looks for each other. In a sense, it feels like they were almost overpassing in the fourth quarter. And when I say overpassing, I am specifically talking about John Wall and Kevin Porter Jr. And I say that for different reasons. I think Kevin Porter Jr.'s confidence was kind of shot in this one. Um... And I think that that's definitely been something that we've kind of seen out of him is he's very like up and down with his confidence level. And I think that's just he's you know, he's a a fresh faced 20 year old kid who's just been thrust into the limelight and and is now a a big part of what this Rockets team wants to do moving forward. He's going to have some ups and downs like in this game. Right. He had the uh, 
in transition, I forget who it was, maybe Dylan Brooks or somebody, uh, you know, drove it in on transition, got an easy layup on Kevin Porter Jr. down the stretch of this game. Then Kevin Porter Jr. comes down on the very next possession and turns the ball over via backcourt violation, trying to kick it back out to Kelly Olynyk, And because he it was a sloppy kind of like behind the back pass. And so he had, you know, back-to-back bad possessions defensively, then a turnover on offense. And, you know, those are the kind of growing pains you expect with a young player like Kevin Porter Jr. And so I think that, you know, in this one specifically, he kind of got into his own head a little bit. The 0 of 7 from downtown, he, he definitely wasn't looking to pull the trigger down the line of this game. And then John Wall, who, you know what, I actually, I want to get, I want to, I'll I'll get to my John Wall train of thought down the you know down the stretch in this game in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team. I'll be hosting rooms for Locked on Rockets once a week, which means, yes, you can finally join in on the conversation that you listen to here every single day. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the NBA. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. So go download the free Locker Room app right now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. Follow me at JT Gatlin to be notified when my room goes live. I know you won't want to miss out on it. I'm planning to be live this week, Tuesday night, 8.30 p.m. Central with Ali Kambijani of The Athletic. I can't wait to hear everyone's thoughts on the Rockets and what's currently going on with the team. Be sure to check it out. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Did you know that you can get more of the sports news that you need in less time with our brand new Locked on Today podcast? Peter Bukowski hosts Locked on Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Be sure to start your day with all the sports news that you need in just under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked on Today wherever you get your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. And also be sure to stick around for the third segment because I'm going to run back the entire uh, media press conference uh, from Houston Rockets general manager, Rafael Stone. Uh, So you'll be able to listen to the questions that were asked. You'll be able to hear his responses. Uh, And I'm going to comment on it a little bit, but I'm going to save that because I also want to discuss that press conference uh, a little bit with the Athletics' Ali Kambijani uh, in our very next episode. So you can check us out live on Locker Room for that episode, or you can just wait. It'll be broken down from the Locker Room that we do into a podcast episode which is going to be our weekly recurring Wednesday episode will feature Ali Kambijani moving forward as we're going to be doing those locker rooms every Tuesday night. Game, no game, doesn't matter. We're doing it every Tuesday night. If it's no game, it's going to be at 8.30 p.m. Central. If there is a game, then we're going to try to go, go live as quickly as possible after the game. Um, so be sure to check that out. It's the, you know, we've done a couple of them now. The turnouts have been great each time, and it's great to interact with you, the listener. Now I want to uh, let's talk let's talk John Wall because and I don't know if I'm overstepping here but bear with me. I think and while it was nice to see him not be, you know, ball dominant in this game, I think that John Wall was almost passive aggressively disinterested in this game. 
And I know that that's hard to say, right, after just, like, chastising the guy for being too ball-dominant to then turn around and say that he's not being, you know, not being invested enough in the outcome of the game. It's, you know, I'm like on a teeter-totter, right? Just, you know, swinging back and forth. Um, But no, like, legitimately, the guy only took two shots in the fourth quarter, um, was largely, you know, kind of just, he was setting up the offense. He was, but he was getting the ball out of his hands and wasn't really looking to attack. Um, and I think, and I, I don't know if that's just the directive or if he is intentionally, you know, not, you know, uh, not looking for a shot specifically, trying to get, you know, to to force others into that position of, hey, well, if they don't want me shooting all these shots, then I'm not going to shoot any shots, right? And that's, I mean, it's kind of an extreme take on the situation. But again, for a guy who, you know, very seemingly thought that he could put the entire team on his shoulders just three short games ago and tried to take over the first of two games against the Minnesota Timberwolves to then see him come into this game in a game where they were, you know, very much still in a position to win this game down the stretch uh, in in the fourth quarter before uh, Jonas Valanciunas kind of took over, unfortunately. Uh, where was it? I think the game was tied at 110. No, hang on. I want to double check that. Oh, come on. Of all the tabs that I have open, I don't have the one play-by-play tab that I wanted to have open because, of course, so let's like readjust this and we'll drag this arrow down and we are back. Okay, cool. Um, so it was actually, okay, 110-106, right? So two-possession game, four-point window after a pair of free throws from Sterling Brown. And then, unfortunately, Jonas Valanciunas went on his 8-0 run, uh, basically, or not 8-0 run, uh, almost an 8-0 run. He, he scored eight points straight, um, and the Rockets had no answer for him, unfortunately. Uh, now, Jay Shantae did eventually make a three-pointer, bringing it 116-110 uh, with about a minute left to go in the game, but the Rockets just couldn't, they, they they couldn't find a way to score the ball down the stretch. And so for a guy like John Wall, who is definitely capable of trying to take over a game, it was interesting to see him just be rather disinterested in the outcome of this one. So that's my takeaway. I don't know if he's going to be like that moving forward. I honestly don't necessarily mind it because it gives the other guys a chance on the roster to sink or swim, right? I don't need to walk away pumping my fist in the air like, yeah, John Wall won us that game. Hell yeah. Like, no. Now, if Kevin Porter Jr. wins the game or Jay Sean Tate puts the team on his back and wins the game or Christian Wood, KJ Martin, like any of the young guys, it's a different dynamic. And I want to, that's my other point that I want to bring up here in this segment is how Steven Silas is meshing the veterans on the team alongside the younger players on the team. And in fact, I actually want to, let's hear from New Rocket, Kelly Olenek, about what it's like to play for Steven Silas before I get into my point that I want to make. You know, it's free-flowing. Um, you know, it's not super rigid. You know, it's not like, you know, X's and O's, you know, here, here. Um, you know, it's free-flowing. Um, you know, he gives the, you know, the, the ball to, to his players and to his talent and, you know, has them kind of make plays. He gives you a little direction and lets you you play off that. And then, you know, after, you know, a couple actions, it's just read and react and, um, you know, taking advantage of certain situations and, and matchups or, you know, whatever, you know, they see fit. And, um, you know, that's, that's a fun offense to play in. And, um, you know, I think we can do great things in it. 
And that, of course, was Kelly Olenek discussing what it's like playing in Silas's system. And so first off, I've been really impressed with Olenek so far. Um, again, I still wonder whether or not he will start alongside Christian Wood or if he'll be relegated to the backup role. It'll be interesting to see if Steven Silas uh, you know, tinkers with that in any capacity. But my point about the, the mixing of the vets and the young guys on the roster is the remainder of the season needs to be about getting the young cores, right? So uh, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, K.J. Martin, Jay Sean Tate, uh, and Christian Wood. And I'll even throw, you know what, I'll even throw Sterling Brown in that mix as well. Because even though Sterling Brown is not under contract for next season, I would love to see the Rockets bring him back. I think he brings a lot to the table for this team. Uh, he has been a very bright spot for, for, you know, throughout this season. Uh, and he's only 24 years old. So he fits the timeline alongside Jay Sean Tate, Christian Wood. He fits the youth movement for this Rockets team. Uh, it remains to be seen what kind of contract they would need to throw at him in the offseason to retain his services. But I would like to see him you know, stick around moving forward. And I'd also like to see David Nwaba stick around, even though he's been out due to the uh, the wrist injury. Pretty, pretty much likely shut down for the season. Um, I would love to see him back as well. I think they provide um, some much-needed impact play off the bench for this Rockets team. So would love to see those guys coming back. But my main point is about the young guys that are still present and playing, right? Those five. And throw in DJ Wilson, too. My bad. Forgot about DJ Wilson. DJ's been awesome. Um, but basically, it's about getting those guys the reps they need, right? I don't want to see lineups rolled out where it's like, you know, Augustine, Wall, I don't know, House, Bradley, Olenek. Like, I don't want to see, like, an all-vet lineup, right? And there's no reason we should see an all-vet lineup. There are five, no, six bodies on the roster that you can count as young players, right, who need the reps, who need the practice, who need the extended minutes to, you know, figure out their games at the NBA level and get those proper reps in. And I think Steven Silas has done a great job partly out of necessity, but also just, you know, because, because that's the direction the team is going, is blending the young lineups and the old and the and the veteran lineups, right? Having DJ Augustine out there with a mix of, say, you know, Ben McLemore, Sterling Brown, DJ Wilson, and KJ Martin Jr. as like his like second unit. Um, seeing John Wall and Kevin Porter Jr. coexist in the backcourt um, has been huge. And I think that that's going to be really helpful for Kevin Porter Jr. being able to play uh, successfully alongside true playmakers like John Wall and DJ Augustine because it allows him the opportunities, as long as those guys are allowing him the chance on the court, to steer the offense, to be the primary focal point of the offense, to be the, the floor general, but then to have them out there as kind of that safety net, right? And we saw that throughout stretches of this game against the Grizzlies is, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. would be out there with one of Wall or DJ Augustine, and he would start, you know, he would be the main focal point of attack, you know, at the start of a possession or, you know, for a couple possessions in a row, and maybe he just doesn't have it, you know, he attacks first can't break down the defense, tries to create a shot for somebody else, it's not there. And then that person is able to then kick it back out to Wall or to DJ Augustine, and then they're able to kind of be the secondary point of attack. You know, okay, well, KPJ tried, now it's my turn to try. Um, or even stretches of the game where we saw John Wall 
or DJ Augustine creating for Kevin Porter Jr., allowing him to be the tip of the spear offensively and not have to create for himself, allowing him to kind of slot into more of that two-guard-esque role where he has a primary facilitator creating for him. So he gets to experience both sides of it rather than just being the, you know, the Bucks stopping and starting with him exclusively. So I think from a developmental standpoint, it's going to be huge being able to blend these veterans with these younger players and really instill. I've had a lot of people reach out to me, DM me, ask me questions on Twitter. You know, is it worth it for the Rockets to, you know, prioritize winning over bottoming out for a pick? And I wholeheartedly disagree. Like, you know, you can, because you can establish what is essentially a winning culture or the right culture, the right principles, the right philosophies, and still come up a little bit short in games, right? Like this game is the prime example of how these games should go for the Rockets, where they're really competitive throughout the game. Things look really good for them. They have they put themselves in a great spot to win the game, but they ultimately fell up, you know, they, they fell a little short. And this is going to be a great learning experience for the Rockets, right? They're going to be able to hit the film room and figure, figure out exactly what went wrong trying to handle Valanchunas. Are they going to double-team bigs like that down the line and make the Grizzlies beat you from behind the arc since they were, you know, 11 of 31, 35% from behind the arc. Um, speaking of behind the arc, though, uh, Rockets legend DeAnthony Melton absolutely torched in this game, and so did Desmond Bain. So M- Melton had 23 points off the bench. Bain had 17 points off the bench. But Melton was just incredible. 7 of 12 shooting, 4 of 7 from behind the arc. It was really painful to watch him light up the Rockets, seeing as how he should have been a Houston Rocket. So that's kind of disappointing. But um, yeah, so just wanted to highlight that. And then... To you know, throw out one more one more highlight point, and you know, I can again. I'm I, looking down the roster, right? You know, Daniel House Jr. had a relatively quiet game. John Wall, pretty bad game all around. Was facilitating, was playing um, some really solid defense. Had three steals, had two blocks, so he was involved in the game. And I made my spicy hot take about whether or not he's you know actually invested down the stretch of these games or not. Um, and you know, so be it. I, I, I TBD, right? Well, let's well, let's watch some more games. Let's see how he reacts down the stretch of other games. Um, Kevin Porter Jr. kind of struggled in this game. Confidence looked a little shot, but like just down the line, it's great to see these guys getting extended minutes and stretches where they can play. DJ Wilson, uh, eight points, three rebounds, had an assist in his twelve minutes. KJ Martin Jr., who consistently checks into the game and then makes impact plays, uh, had six points, had three rebounds, shot three of three. Uh, it's just great having a guy who can come in with that level of energy and intensity. Uh, and and then, again, DJ Augustine, who has been a very, very welcome presence to this team. 13 points, 5 assists off the bench in this one. So just wanted to... Oh, and then Avery Bradley, uh, who kind of struggled in this one. Uh, the corpse of Avery Bradley running around out there. Uh, one of six shooting, three points only. Eh. Not, I, I don't necessarily see Avery Bradley in the rotation once they get Christian Wood back. Uh, I think he's the guy who probably falls out of the 10-man rotation, honestly. Um, and for good reason, right? Like there's, there's no reason to play Avery Bradley when you've already got a guard-heavy lineup of John Wall, Kevin Porter Jr., Sterling Brown, DJ Augustine. Like, there's just no need for it. So 
Coming up, I do want to talk about, uh, or well, run back the audio from Rafael Stone's uh, press conference just before uh, the Rockets-Grizzlies game, and I've got one major point that I want to make about that, but I won't go into too much detail there, just because I want to discuss it uh, with the Athletics' Ali Kambijani as we host our locker room Tuesday night at 8.30, uh, also you know for our very next episode, so that'll be content there, but stick around. We're going to be talking about that in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL are all in full swing, and MLB opening day is right around the corner. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. You can get real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's totally free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your phone and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. 50%. So again, that's 50%. And all you got to do is use promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Look, we've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for quite a while now, and there's a reason for that, right? Built Bar, it's not like a traditional protein bar. It's not gritty. It's not chalky. They're delicious. They're covered in 100% chocolate. It's like eating a candy bar that's jam-packed with protein. They're low, low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and let's say it's just it's the best protein bar that I've ever personally had, but now... Now, it is time to find out which Built Bar is the best Built Bar. It is Built Bar Madness, and today's matchup, we are finally down to the flavorful four, and today's matchup is Cookies and Cream against Cookie Dough Chunk, and... Personally, I gotta lean cookies and cream. It's an OG flavor. I'm a sucker for cookies and cream, anything. And that's how I'm gonna be voting. And I'm gonna cast my vote at builtbar.com. Or if you'd like, you could also cast your vote at bar underscore built on Twitter. And when you're at the website, remember to use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your very next order of great tasting protein bars. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. And be sure to check back to see who won today's matchup and who will ultimately become the the best tasting protein bar. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Let's go ahead and dive straight in and go ahead and listen to Rafael Stone's press conference uh, just before the Rockets-Grizzlies game tipped off. Hey, Rafael, how are you? Hey, Mark, I'm good. You just got to go over your last uh, transaction, the Old Depot deal, which, why you did it, the benefits of it, that kind of thing. Um. Sure. I think, um, yeah, yeah, I guess to start, we had kind of organizationally made a decision that, um, the, it, the, the Victor fit wasn't, wasn't kind of a good one. Um, and so, uh, at that point, um, you, you know, what do you do? Right. So, so then it became, um, uh, make a deal that has some upside. I'll walk you through, I think what the upside is, um, and, uh, and, and, and move on to the next, uh, to the next stage. Right. So from our perspective, we really like the guys in the deal. Um, Kelly, um, um, and Avery are both guys we've liked for several years. And, um, and then the opening up a spot for the current players on our roster playing time opportunities, particularly for Kevin 
was particularly, you know, was, was important. And so, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of the thought process was, you know, we made some game decisions about where we're going to go forward or not decision was made, not then, you know, you're, you're looking for it. And then, and then we also got a swap out of Miami that we think could be material. Um, and so, so there's, so from, there's lots of little parts to this deal that aggregated from our perspective into something we were, you know, we wanted to do. And that's why we did it. Adam Spolin. Um, both Avery and Kelly are free agents at the end of the season. So are you saying that you believe that there's a future past this season for them with your team? For sure, for sure. Potentially, uh, Avery's not. Avery's got a team option. Um, but um, yeah, for sure. Like not different from Victor. Like, you know, we'll, we'll have bird rights for, for Kelly um, and – um, and then, like I said, Avery has a, has a team option. So we're, yeah, like we're, yeah, we're trying to find good fits. And, 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 and one of the advantages of kind of the construct, the rebuild construct we're doing is that, um, you know, I do think that there's a place for veterans on your team, not just this year, but going forward, um, stabilizing influences, helping your, your younger players develop in the right way, in a quicker way. I think having a good mix of old and young is actually attractive. Um, it doesn't mean that these guys will be the perfect fit. I, I actually am very optimistic about both. Like I said, they're both guys we really like and have liked for, for some time, but you don't know people until you work with them. And so um, so, so I'm looking forward to getting to know them, to, to working with them, to having them fit into this group and, um, um, you know, and then we'll make decisions at the end of that time. Um, it's kind of how we do it. Brian Bearfield. Was there other deals on the table, which was the reason that led up to the last minute uh, trade? Yeah, I mean, you're always looking at a bunch of stuff and you're trying to figure out the best thing. I, one thing I won't do, this isn't so no offense, but I'm not I'm never going to talk about other deals in their particulars that we did or didn't do. That's not fair to the guys we have. It's not fair to the guys who got traded. It's not fair to the other teams. I would not appreciate it if somebody did that to me. So, so I'm not gonna comment on that, but we're, uh, we're one of the teams I think in the NBA that is the most active in discussions almost all the time. So, so we're generally looking at, at lots of things and, and then we, you know, we, we go whatever way we go. Jonathan Fagan. Um, in processes like this, this particular trade and some of the others, what is Tillman's role and input in these deals? Um, yeah, I mean, no, no offense to my boss, but he doesn't really have one on a deal like this, right? This is like, we, you know, um, I, I do my very best to be in constant contact with Tillman, telling him about the direction we're trying to go in and everything else. But like, um, and I want him to feel very, very comfortable about our, our processes, like how we're going about it, how we're thinking about it. Tillman's a deal guy like me. So from, from my perspective, like talking to him about, um, about our transactional process, how I'm thinking about it, the negotiation process, whether it's with one team or with 15 teams, like those are all the conversations we really have. And he's super valuable to me as a resource, as a super sophisticated deal guy. But like as a, but like in terms of actual players, like, no, like he leaves that entirely up to us. And, um, 
Um, you know, and, and I guess I would say, um, Jonathan, obviously you know me pretty well, so you probably knew the answer to this question. I, I'm not the right guy for to be a like a, a mouthpiece. And and I know that there's at least some some notion that 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 in some organizations that's how it works. That that's that's not how our organization works. I mean, I'm I, I wouldn't be good at that job. So um yeah, as it relates to players, which players we're interested in, all of that. Um, you know, that's, that's what my group does, right? It's not just me. It's, it's my group, you know, led by Eli and that's what we do. And then, you know, um, like I said, I do think Tillman is an extraordinarily sophisticated negotiator. So, um, I do, I do tap that as to how I try and get somebody else to their max value or something else, but as to what constitutes value as to what players we should get or not get. No, I mean, he's in that sense, he's great. Like from my job's perspective, because yeah, it's, 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 that's what we do. That, that there's, there's a really clear, clear line for us. Thank you. Tim McMahon. Hi, hey, Ralph. How would you describe your, your vision and your philosophy for this rebuilding uh, process and, and your anticipated or hopeful timetable for getting this franchise back at the, at, at the level you want to be? Um, yeah, like I think, um, well, let me, let me start off by I think how we got here, right? Which is that like, um, we, 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 we tried to win a championship for like multiple years in a row and we didn't, and, and we didn't worry about the future. Right. And I actually, well, that's one of the things I've thought a lot about over the last several months is to, as to whether or not we should do that again. Cause you're always trying to learn. Like if you're, Everybody should always be trying to learn in every job. And, I, I, you know, I'm like completely unapologetic about that. I, I think that um, organizationally uh, for the last five or six years, maybe even longer, we've been all in every year. And given the, the players we've had, the, the place that our roster has been, the team construct we had, I think we did the right thing. And so that's how we find ourselves in the position we're in today. Um, I, I think, you know, um, where we're at this year is kind of similar where Golden State was last year. Um, there's a consequence to those actions. If you go for it and go for it and go for it, if you're always maximizing this year and not looking two or three years out, there's consequences. And so I think we're living those consequences. Um, and um, uh, so that's kind of, I, I, I know I'm, I, I, I'll get back to your actual question, but I thought that was an important point to make. Um, in terms of how we, we go from here, I think actually we, yeah, I, I feel pretty comfortable that, that, that we like where we are in the beginning stages. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to take constant bets. Um, I think that everybody does that. It's just the level you do it at. Right. So we're going to do it. Not, not all of them are going to work out. Um, to the extent that those bets involve future years, we have to be more confident than somebody who's just expiring, right? Um, but, um, but, but I do, you know, I, I think in terms of, of the young players in this roster, we do have kind of a young core, um, along with John and Eric, a young core that we really like um, of uh, Christian and uh, Jay Sean and KP and KJ. Um, you know, all guys under contract going forward really like those bets. And um, um, so, 
because we do like those guys, we think we've seen growth this year. Um, we obviously want to add to them, but it's not from my perspective. I don't think we are, we need to do a, um, like a wholesale tank strategy, like some other teams may have done in the past or maybe are doing now. Um, you know, we've been ravaged by injuries this year that, that just is. So our record, it reflects that. Um, um, and so, you know, you know, there's no, there's no guarantee that we won't be ravaged by injuries next year or the year after or whenever. Um, anytime a team takes injuries the way we've taken them, there's going to be consequences. But in terms of the rebuild, I think our goal is going to be to be competitive while at the same time really giving our young guys an opportunity to flourish. I think you can do both at the same time. Um, getting back to like Kelly and Avery, that's that's kind of what we like about those guys is we think that they can be stabilizing and help the growth of our young players, help us be competitive. Um, and then actually both are young enough to fit within a time frame. So um, um, yeah, I, I, hopefully that answers your question. It, if not, I'll, I'll double back. Prof, uh, obviously you made the Harden trade primarily for the picks. Now you know, know how things uh, went with Oladipo. Uh, I'm wondering, how do you feel about the return for that trade at this point? I think one of your colleagues te texted me like the uh, the day after the trade, and they said that they would get they would evaluate me in 2027, and I told them that that was too early. They should do it in 2030. So, um, you know, I, I think again, like I I think we felt at the time that we did the best deal for the franchise possible. That's Obviously, that's my job, right? So, um, so I did it. Um, but particularly given the types of the types of things we got back, like, yeah, like it feels like you can't possibly know how you did for multiple years, like I don't know, three, five, something like that. Um, but I feel good about it. Like, like I, I, I think. Yeah, like I, I, I think I've, I, I do feel good about it. You do every moment. You, you do every deal. At the moment you do the deal, I would for sure 100% do that deal again. Like, you know, again, you guys don't have the advantages of knowing everything that I know, but there's literally no part of me regrets doing that deal. I, I have not second-guessed it for a moment. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, um, again, a, a lot of what I said about trying, about being in a position maybe to not have to be bad um, that, that, that deals what that's, there's some other things we've done to help that too, but it's primarily that deal that is, that, that, that's allowed us to say, Hey, we want to compete on a slightly quicker time frame. We don't, we're not, we're not going to go down this path of trying to intentionally lose games for years on end. So that was Rafael Stone, general manager for your Houston Rockets. And the one piece that I want to comment on right now and we'll talk about the other, you know, some other elements from his press conference. But the one piece that really stands out to me is that he has the utmost confidence in himself and what he was able to do with the James Harden deal. And that's great to hear, right? Because we've done so much speculation, so much what ifs, what about isms, you know, about, you know, oh, well, they could have done this trade or maybe this permutation or they could have branched it off in this direction. And Ultimately, the Victor Oladipo situation was, you know, 
slightly disappointing to a lot of us, but to hear Rafael Stone say that he would for sure 100% do that deal again, uh, stating that, you know, we don't have the advantage of knowing everything that he did, uh, but that literally no part of him regrets doing that deal and he has not second guessed it for a moment. I like that. I like that level of confidence from Rafael Stone. And so far, yes, you can point to the Victor Oladipo return and say, yeah, that was a little disappointing. Maybe he missed on that one. Maybe Pat Riley got the better of him. But largely, his moves to this point, there's been a running theme, right, of of optionality, of flexibility with his moves. And he spent the better part of his early GM tenure straddling the fence between deciding, okay, are we going to try and still be competitive this season? Or are we, you know, going full sale, like we're, you know, we're, we're in full-blown rebuild mode now, right? Where it's not necessarily exclusively asset acquisition, but it's with, you know, now it feels like there's kind of a renewed focus on a, a timeline that's a little bit further down the line, still right around the corner, not like a years-long rebuild, uh, a bit of a quicker rebuild timetable, but it's still a rebuild where they're not necessarily worried about being competitive immediately this season or next season. You know, they, they're still trying to turn things around quickly. But, you know, I, I'm just, I like that level of confidence, I guess, is my main takeaway. Is because to hear him say that, to hear him understand, you know, believe that he has a, a, a drawn out, fully thought out plan. And to hear him even say that he should be evaluated not even in 2027, but by 2030 on the James Harden trade, that's exactly what I've been echoing here. So to hear him share that same sentiment where, look, we're not going to know what the outcome of this trade looks like for years down the line, because whether he actually utilizes those picks as draft picks, whether he packages those picks, he did say he views them as assets, you know, so It'll be really interesting to see how that entirely shakes out. Um, and again, I'm going to discuss this a little bit more at length uh, with the Athletics' Ali, Ali Kambijani, kind of get some of his insight onto uh, some of uh, Rafael Stone's answers here. But for today's episode, that is actually going to... Oh, no, it's not going to wrap it up. It is not going to wrap it up because the Rockets did lose a game, and that means we need to run a tankathon sim. So... I don't have, so Tankathon is actually out for this week, unfortunately. He's having uh, his, we'll say his vocal cords repaired, but he'll be back soon. So we'll have to do without for this time. But let's go ahead and run a Tankathon sim and see where the rockets land. So let me do this and let's refresh and we are going to sim this bad boy up. Let's run these numbers. Okay, no change. I like it. Uh... Well, no change for the Rockets. Rockets State number two overall, and that means Mobley or Suggs, uh, whichever, either or. Uh, Toronto jumps up six spaces to the number one overall spot, which conceivably, I think Cade Cunningham is like consensus number one, but maybe the Raptors don't take Cade. I don't know. They probably take Cade. Um, but yeah, so that's a that's an interesting one. Indiana jumps in. This is a really weird one. Indiana jumped up eight spots to the number three overall pick, and Cleveland jumped up a spot into the fourth overall pick. So the Minnesota pick fell four spots. Detroit fell three spots. Orlando, three spots. Yeah, this is a, this is a really weird lottery. But hey, the Rockets stayed pat at number two, which means they get a top prospect. They retain their pick. I'm here for it. I love it. It's great news for the Rockets. And this Toronto gambit, I will leave you with this as a thought experiment, right? Would you trade Christian Wood to the Toronto Raptors in exchange for a top four pick 
this draft? Yes or no? Like Rockets, so then you know, conceivably, right? And I saw this on Twitter the other day, and I thought it was a really interesting proposition because um, Christian Wood fits their timetable. Um, the Rockets would get a full-blown rebuild, you know, with two top prospects, uh, conceivably, like you know, Cade and then Mobley or Suggs, whichever, either or. Um, I thought it was an interesting proposition. So I will leave you with that thought experiment and you can reply to me on Twitter. Let me know what you think about that. Um, I'm not 100% whether or not sure I would do it. I think I would. Um, But yeah, it's a really tough question. Uh, I spent like 15 minutes when somebody originally asked me about it, whether or not I was actually going to do it. Uh, So yeah, I'll leave you with that. Would you trade Christian Wood for a top four pick in this year's draft? Uh, And that'll be that. So uh, with that, that's going to do it for today's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.